Hello coconuts, we are back for more in our Stock Geek Out. This week, we learn what the market impact will be with all the news coming out of Kabul. Airbnb had a great quarter and telcos are creating a new revenue stream. Is it for survival? Stay tuned to find out more. TFC's weekly market update scours the net to find worthy financial news to be further discussed and expanded. It is a banter session with facts, figures, and fun to help you get caught up in the world of investing. So join in the banter live with me, Rakesh, your host, weekly Tuesdays at 8pm on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Okay, we back, guys. So happy to have you back, Rakesh, right? Last week, Nigel took your hey. seat. But yeah, happy to be back. Yeah, I think this, this week we have a lot of stuff, right? I mean, the news cycle is flooded with things and they're not exactly finance-related. And we'll talk about some of those things, right? Like, yeah, I know you wanted to talk about Afghanistan, so we, we cannot run away from that topic, right? We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about the, the Taliban's takeover and all that jazz. But yes, yes, let, let, us, let us roll, okay? So I'm going to start with something lighter, you know, so to get everyone on, you know, we don't want to... <laughs> we don't want to go in with a war straight away, right? So I'm going <laughs> to start with the... The lighter topic, we have a whole set of stuff coming up for you guys. And this week, what is on my plate? Airbnb has a blowout quarter of reporting. Okay, revenue for the quarter was up 300% year on year. Okay, okay, clarification. Last year was a bad year, right? So they did have a very, very low ball to hit. But beyond that, they've actually exceeded their growth, you know, from 2019 numbers. Right? So... Even if you wipe out 2020 from this, this quarter's growth compared to 2019's growth, that was 10% increase. So that's like pretty good numbers in, in, in my view. Although they are still a loss-making company. Specifically, I want to bring out that nights and experiences booked rose by 200% during this quarter. Okay, so I'm sure every one of you use Airbnb. And when you first use Airbnb, it's just staying, right? You book stays and all that stuff. But now they have a whole new vertical of like nights and experiences where all these people, they kind of bring you around, they're like a local tour guide and they bring you to all the cool places that will never work in traditional travel structures. So yeah, what, what are your thoughts, guys? Airbnb. Exotic experiences. Is it uh, to do with the coronavirus <laughs> recovery? No, 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 no. Hey, hey, they've been doing this before before the coronavirus already. Right? So I, I'm really? not sure if you guys travel a lot, but because I, I uh-huh. travel quite a bit, so I was already using... Airbnb and uh, when I first started using it, everybody you know use it for like stays and all that, right? Then there was this new vertical that popped up, which was called experiences, where your local tour guides or your local like you and I, we can start an experience company. Like we can um, bring people around botanic garden or you know be a herbologist and just kind of show people you know like this is what it is and you can it's like a tour guide and then you just uh, yes. like show around as a local and it's, ah yes okay, yes okay, so okay. you can create these kind of experiences for people and you don't you don't even need to be like a tour guide tour guide per se you can do like a coffee experience you know at your cafe you know or if you have like a calligraphy studio you can do a local calligraphy session you know all that jazz mm. or you run a temple you can have a meditation okay I don't know who runs a temple but anyway if if you run a temple, you know, that's, you know, that's your thing. Pretty cool. All right? but, but whatever it is, it is a way to go about creating experiences that you will not see in the traditional like touring structure where, you know, they go to all these places and all that. Yeah. So pretty cool. Okay. Wow. 
I didn't. I honestly didn't know this existed at Airbnb. I thought it was just really. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I'll I'll be completely honest with you. I oh thought my it was god, a guys! <laughs> no, it's an we're, we're, not, we're not tour people. Uh. We're not tour people. Okay. Like, we, okay. we just want to set our own accommodations <laughs> and then like just explore on our own. Yeah, definitely. I thought I thought yeah, exactly. If we're, if we're traveling, I'm looking for a space. I will look at Airbnb, but that was the only time I I I look at Airbnb. I didn't know about this experience uh. thing, which is also I think something that Expedia sort of pivoted into. During the during the pandemic, right? Um, to, to effectively save themselves, I think Airbnb, which has we already created some some sort of infrastructure there. But I think that's great. Um, I'm just looking at a chart now um, of of the number of uh, experiences booked January 2020. So just before the pandemic, it's hit its highest, which I thought was was pretty cool. Obviously, it crashed in 2020, but it it's rising since. So I thought that was that's pretty cool that they tried to look at at this different angle. Into, into travel. Yeah, and, and I just want to put it out there that it is like super localized and super fancy. You know, like, you know that experience when you have a foreign friend that comes to visit you in Singapore and you will bring them to this like Nasi Lemak place and then this other Laksa place yes. and then, you know, you'll bring them to all the quirky places that you go to and you spend time with your friends on the weekend. That is a big part of, you know, building experiences and I think Airbnb has, has already done that and uh, to be clear, Expedia, Booking, a lot of the, even TripAdvisor, some of these big guys, they have tried to expand their repertoire instead of just, you know, booking uh, nights and stays. They have also looked at restaurant verticals, you know, booking restaurants. They have also looked at doing some of these kind of guided tours and all that. But as someone that has used a lot of Airbnb and I hosted on an Airbnb before, I have to say that the onboarding process is seamless. It's very well done, very easy. You know, and and yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty good. I would say, yeah. As a as a host, yeah, I I, I like it. Just curious, yeah. is this like um, US or is this worldwide for Airbnb? Worldwide, bro. Worldwide, it's already out. No, it's in the the revenues. So when it recovered, um, you mentioned like two hundred percent, right? So this was worldwide or overall, yeah, overall ah. recovery. So the whole the whole company recovered at three hundred percent. I'm I never look into the deep numbers, but I'm pretty sure. In the US and Europe, some of these regions that have opened up, they've definitely become the, the bigger drivers, right? So maybe in Southeast mm. Asia or in Asia, it's still a little bit a little bit more controlled at this point in time. Um, anyway, you know, Airbnb does not have a, that big of a footing in Asia in terms of their revenue in breakdown, Asia. right? So, it's quite big um, in Australia as well, right? So a lot of these vacations, obviously, they can't leave the country. They will leave the state when possible mm. um, to go for these sort of experiences, um, mm-hmm. I know at least friends in in Australia that are that are doing that now, just because like I, I got to get out of my city is effectively what they said. I mean, yeah. if they're not in lockdown, right? So, <laughs> um, but that's really cool because you know I do get a lot of visitors um, coming to Singapore, and I've always usually take them on my usual walks, which you know start off in say City Hall, uh, then we we go around the Civic District, ends up in Fullerton, explain to them how Singapore used to look like, um, and then obviously go down to the bay and 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 have dinner. Um, yeah. So actually, that's really cool. I'm I'm gonna dive deeper into into definitely check it out, man. It's really yeah. really interesting. Anyway, you can get mas- paid for it now. Yeah. Yeah, you can get paid for doing all those kind of stuff. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> really, really. And Tomasek actually increased their position in in Airbnb, so they bought more Airbnb. Right. Of course, they also bought more TT. You know, but since we're on the topic of Airbnb, is this a company that you think has the kind of longer term value? investors because you know retail investors have access to this company right so 
that's it's a it's an interesting thing to to look at. Do you think Airbnb has that value proposition for the longer term? I think it's a complementary um, to tourism and to hotel bookings, right? Because people are looking at um, all these spaces which is unused. I think that gap has has to be filled by someone. Uh, if not Airbnb, then who? It just happens to be the the, the dominant market share. Um, mm. I think China will have their own equivalent also, but their one is more of interstate travel, uh, like outside going in. They have they have their own versions also. Rest here to stay lah, like shared economy and 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 um, that whole trend. But so far, Airbnb is the biggest. So yeah, why yeah. not? Not all shared economy is the same. I just want to put it out. Yeah, there. Yes. for sure. All right. For sure. So to be very exact, Airbnb has very very low operational cost, right? Yeah. So it's relative to its other shared economy guys. So yes, something to note. Rakesh, any thoughts on on Airbnb and its future? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a great play, right? And and I think they should put more focus on this. I mean, of course, Singapore is a small market for them, and they're not really in Asia. Um, but are they planning to go in Asia? Because this experience thing could also really just blow up, even if it's not just homestay. Like, you know, in Singapore, I think they ban Airbnb for HDBs and, and condos, right? So it's effectively only landed. It's okay, it's okay. But now Tamasic, Tamasic increased their share. There's a discussion going on. I'm <laughs> dead sure of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you remember the days when, when they were saying like Grab is a no-no, you know, Grab is illegal, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then ComfortDelgro was super angry with it. And then after that, ComfortDelgro took a position in Grab. Tomasic took a position in Grab. And I was like, okay, Grab is here. You know, it's quite good. You know, we should we should invest in Grab to kill Uber. Right? So, yeah. That's, at, at a level, you know, politics do yeah, play true. out in some in some of this. So, yeah. True. No, but I think uh, I think that's that's a great area. And where, where else can they can they look into, right? Because these two are, are, are of course... Uh, complimentary, but is there another angle that they can go into and and really expand their their app? Are they in creating this sort of shared ecosystem, if you if you want to call it that? Yes. Um, yes. So no, I, I think it's it's a, it's a great step. I think the the numbers are looking good. Of course, um, we're looking towards the post pandemic era and how that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, given also with Airbnb, still you know a lot of its revenue is still house to house. Um, how would that be, right? Do I need to show that I sanitize the room? Um, all these, all these sort of extra stuff. Would people's um, perception going to someone's home now be be really questionable? So mm. I think um, those are just extra stuff that I'm thinking in my head. But I think yeah. as a, if you zoom out a little, it's it's quite a good. I point. think the numbers are showing that it, it's okay. People are okay. You know, like like to to go back and travel and stay in people's home. You know, it's not as big a thing anymore. And all that stuff, right? So, I mean, when, when I recently opened a very small position in Airbnb before all these news came out, right? So, I'm not a big wow. uh, guy. I'm not a big guy when it comes to like um, investing in IPOs and all that stuff. So, Airbnb is like the only, they only IPO last, late last year. Um, so, I've kind of broken a little bit of my, you know, things that I will not do like invest in IPO within the first year. And I bought a small little position in in Airbnb, right. and I and I thought like fundamentally they have really gotten so far that it's very hard to onboard any other you know the same amount of assets on another platform. Okay, so they have already gotten their moat in a much much further than anyone else. Nobody has you know um, come anywhere close to where they are at, at this point in time. Okay, and uh, I I think it's fundamentally very challenging from the whole network effect kind of thing. You know, it's like when I, as a traveler, I, I go Airbnb because I trust the platform and also I know that all the stuff will be there, right? If you cannot find on Airbnb, you cannot find on anywhere else. Or at least that's the that's the base thought. 
right? And I know Marriott and IHG so, uh, Booking, some of them, they have tried to pivot into this whole space um, to like do homes, essentially do what Airbnb is doing, right? With, with their own platform. But it, it's very hard because they were not built for that. They have account managers, you know, they have a very big cut and big margins and all that. They've been they've built their organization in the way that they do it. But Airbnb is like today I just onboard myself and I actually did an episode about like how I was hosting Airbnb and all, you know, on the podcast. So yeah, definitely I think there's fundamental uh, long-term value in the company. And let's see if uh, the whole like recovery of travel trade mm. and all will, will benefit it. Yeah, yeah, I just want to add one more thing. Their support service, right, is also really good. So, especially for the uh, hosts, right? So, they have a lot of different, um, like, little startups or little services uh, dangling around, right? But they acquire them and put them in part, as part of Airbnb to really increase the quality of the support. So, what do I mean by that? Like, they have recommended ways to actually install some kind of, like, door lock or, like, cleaning services and all that, right? And make it very, very systematic. So, as a host, right, it's just very hassle-free to just open up your home. And there's a lot of best practices in doing that um, that's localized throughout the rest of the, all the countries that they operate in, right? So if you are the guest also, it's also really, really smooth if you just want to just stay in Airbnb. You just really need mm. to just book and just show up. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say that they gamified the onboarding process. <laughs> so, so they actually made it fun for me to onboard my house. Like, take a photo here, do this, da 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 da, da <laughs> right? And then there's the bar to, 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 cool. to, to get you to lead you uh. to complete your onboarding process. So, pretty cool stuff, right? For what Airbnb is doing, definitely check out the company. But also recognize that you know, uh, it's a growth company, blah blah blah, right? This is not a recommendation. Do your own homework and all that jazz. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. all, man, guys. Next topic. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, this is a trend that you was know, observed. So basically, it's about telcos, right? Around the world. Like, oh, telcos, very boring. Like, they're just doing communications and stuff. Like, no, they're doing more than that, okay? Yeah, they're doing way more than that. So, so uh, other than transitioning yeah. from, say, 3G or 4G into 5G, wherever you are, um, they're also trying to go more into content. Right? Usually, for mm-hmm. the telco play, it's just very standard, right? They sell you this kind of landline or Wi-Fi package together with uh, TV, right? This is a traditional model. But moving forward, that has been decoupled. So, all they're going to be is just actually selling the communication aspect. So, your Wi-Fi or your internet for home, right? And maybe for your own um, mobile usage. Huh? But with the content play actually going towards services like Netflix, your Amazon Prime and all that, right? These telcos actually stand to lose a lot in two ways, right? Number one, they're actually investing a lot of money into 5G tech because it is forced down their throats by the government. Like, we need to have 5G. I don't care how much it costs. Just do it, Right? And when that happens, right, they are having a lot of uh, old infrastructure needing to be upgraded. And also, they need to maintain a lot of these old systems. Uh, there's, there's some cost to it. And moving forward, there's going to be a lot of competitors who's going to go into the 5G space or so. So it's not just your three or four telcos anymore in your country. It's going to be a lot more players from outside because of globalization. You've got maybe suddenly some SpaceX uh, satellite just set up shop like oh just launch like 50 or 500 satellites around your region right and suddenly you can also provide uh, 3G or 4G services so the core services really get competed away and 5G is just like coming up next when they have to set up more of these uh, satellites or what you call it repeaters huh? I, I don't know a technical term for it but 5G is more short wave so they need a lot more um, equipment to bounce the waves off yeah that's yeah. to simplify things Yep. So where they're going to go to go towards this is uh, so let's say for China Mobile, right? 
Um, they're actually launching VR uh, mobile cloud. They're actually doing a lot of 360 degrees content um, and trying to do mixed reality applications. So there's more um, need or rather a one that people would have right, to actually go for China Mobile for these kind of content. Um, SK Telecom, so it's a telco for South Korea. Um, they're also launching this kind of metaverse platform. So you can socialize in different virtual life. If you, have, if you know about Second Life or um, you've played some kind of like online virtual game before. Second Life, man, guys. Second Life, right? It's, 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 it's yeah. like... It, it's like... Uh, okay, sorry, then Boomer, but it's like Hubble Hotel on viral, right? Like Hubble yeah, yeah, Hotel yeah. Like on steroids. <laughs> so yes, 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 yes. But imagine you, you just wear the helmet or the goggles, right? And you're so immersed in it. Um, wow. So Korea, being Korea, they're also going to put in avatars for K-pop stars. Right, so you can just visit your K-pop star who's just right in front of you, and then you can like ask them <laughs> questions and stuff like that. Of course, it's not going to be them in real life; it's just going to be an AI behind the scenes. But still, the interaction still kind of like it's kind of cool, uh, Yeah. And in the US, there's Verizon. Um, they are actually doing Super Bowl experiences. So Super Bowl is this really huge stadium um, with the like American football being played, uh, But the atmosphere is very, very fantastic. So having that uh, immersive in that uh, ARVR experience is just taking content to a new level. Uh. So yeah, telcos are doing quite interesting things, uh, not just for 5G. Well, what do you think? Is this a good move for them? Oh, I think um, it's the only sorry. move. But Rakesh, go first. <laughs> <laughs> only move. <laughs> so I think, um, you, know, you know, of course with 5G it gets a lot of cost. But I, one question on, on Verizon, right? Um, yeah. you, said, you said the immersive, ex- immersive Super Bowl experience. Did they actually get to see the Super Bowl as well? In the VR, yeah, so they, uh, they, no, 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 sit in not quite. Seat, it's, so how, how would that work? Right, right now it's more of a replace. So, like, uh, if you played FIFA or some kind of sport game, right? Every time you say you score a virtual goal, but you can like yeah. drag around your mouse and see, like, oh, that was so cool! Like, I did this move. I know it's actually the 3D player, uh, right? So, okay. if you follow a player or you follow a team, right, you can really see how they actually execute a certain play. Um, it takes things uh, to a new okay. level, uh, experiencing content. Mm. Yeah. No, I think that's that's great. Right? I mean, it's an area that that I think that it's not being tapped into. Or there there is potential to tap into, right? Sorry, AR VR experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, BT, mm-hmm. for example, like I know content is a big thing, right? Especially for telcos. Um, and given the the current five G, where what it is 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 building infrastructure effectively for the country. <laughs> um, right. It's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be loss making. So how else can I use five G and make it profit? Uh, make it profit making. I guess that's the question that they're answering, uh, they're asking themselves. And and we've seen content come across even during 4G, right? So uh, telco companies, I think like in the US or in the UK, we've got Verizon, uh, we've got Sprint um, that sponsor certain um, content or certain shows, and obviously shown on their mobile. BT, there's BT Sport that invests in it. So those have already been done. Right, so I guess the the question and next is we have Mio is, TV is, here, by the way. We have Mio TV. Uh, yeah, okay, we fine. Have, you have Singtel and channel, yes. <laughs> Astro, guys. Right, let's not forget yes, the local yes. guys. Yes, yes. Of course, I mean the the the, the local monopoly or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, definitely, right. So you've got you've got it content wise quite quite across the world, and sort of what's you know, what's next. Um, I never thought they would be going into this because it's such a new space. Um, the AR VR, right? I think started off with, mm. with Oculus, with Facebook, Google's having it there as well. PlayStation is really driving in, and Microsoft is really driving into the the AR VR element as well. But there's so much to go into. I don't know. Do you see it as a risk that if if it doesn't really pan out as it is, or do you see it as a as a good as a good pivot or as a good extension of their service? I think like what Reggie says, uh, not really much choice for telcos. 
Yeah. I don't I don't right. think they have any other choices, honestly. Right. So this is quite a it's a very big pivot. In in a in a way, I won't even call this a pivot anymore. It's it's really like taking on a whole so yeah, it's, yeah, it's taking on a whole different business. You know, like when you pivot, right? The the whole idea of pivot is you have something going on and it's kind of on a slant and then you pivot towards that thing. You know, some it's, of it it's is like, transferable. Yeah, yeah so it must pivot, be some sort of transferability <laughs> of a pivot. You know, but it feels it feels like a lot of telcos because they're getting attacked. It's like the banks. The banks are also getting attacked up, down, left, right by all these different providers, you know, whether it's payments and all that. So in the telco space, they're also getting attacked. The internet itself already attacked them, you know, free calls, no more. Who uses SMS these days, right? Other than for scams. Yeah. But anyway, so so you know, a, a lot of the OTP, the, the, OTP. OTP is okay, very OTP. important. Yes. Okay, whatever, right? 2FA, OTP. Yes, yes, yes. But the, <laughs> the the idea is a lot of these uh, big telcos, they've already lost their traditional revenue. And you can see the numbers really come down. Whether it's Singapore, Malaysia telco companies, they're all getting attacked. And whoever they're surviving are surviving on extremely lean margins. And they're surviving very much because they have optimized their processes. So they have cut down on the labor that they need. They have automated a lot of things. They onboard some of these. They, they onboard the clients in a more efficient manner. They service them in a more efficient manner. So less touch point, less cost. So those guys are surviving. Everyone else that you know has a very clunky process in the middle are dying, right? So it is not anywhere. It's not a business that I want to go near at all, right? So don't don't tell me value play and all that shit. Right? <laughs> I don't want to go into that. But the general idea is that. They are getting attacked. They have no place to go. So maybe this is a strategy. But if you ask me, I think a lot of the people when they talk about AR, VR, they also don't understand that, you know, there are multiple layers to this, right? From the network layer to the platform layer to the hardware, you know, to the to the, to the the content, the software development at the back, you know, the whole experience is peripheral accessories and, and all these stuff. It's a lot more, it's a lot a lot bigger than what people understand when it comes to this whole like metaverse or AR, VR kind of thing, right? So in that sense, I think it's very underdeveloped at this point in time. So don't be too soaked into all these guys trying to tell you like, oh, you know, we're, we're being high tech. We're going to all these places. You know, what is the adoption? What are the numbers looking like? You know, that's still, uh, still pretty questionable. But all that being said, no doubt that this is the trajectory. People are heading towards this path. And... Yeah, the metaverse is here to stay and it, it's a, it's a early, early days of development. So if you look at a business cycle, I would think the metaverse is only at the like early growth stage, you know, where it is still Very figuring it, where it's still figuring out its marketplace, you know, where, where does it sit? Is there adoption, sufficient adoption to create a model that works, you know, and, and all that stuff, right? So super early, I'm not too big on like you know, calling it like, oh, it's definitely going to be good or definitely going to be shit. It's just understanding that it's a complex space. Yeah. Yeah. There's, so there's, there's one player. So I was, um, I think I was also reading something where Verizon is actually giving um, 4G, 5G phones to 4G users and they could just effectively upgrade for free. Um, so if they don't have a 5G phone, they can go and get it from Verizon and they're providing it to them. Um, of course, you've got to trade in your old phone and I'm sure there are a lot of TNCs with that but they're really banking on this 5G for this sort of content or for this AR, VR thing, right? Um, at least I think so. But um, when, when I was reading it, I was like, wow, how much losses are you taking just to get user acquisition on 5G? Yeah, but but if, if you think about it, data consumption is going to be a lot higher, right, in, in 5G. So 
You know, uh, are we going into the space where everything is a buffet, it's like unlimited data? And so you kind of bring people up the, to the highest bracket of consumption, right? Unlimited data, or you, can you push them up the consumption because of all these additional services? The margins on data is extremely high, okay? That's something that I think a lot of people don't recognize because the sunk cost on infrastructure is already there. You know, uh, the upside margin per, per gig sold is very, very high. And... Uh, just even Circles Live, they don't have their own infrastructure. They're using M1, I think. All right. So yep. if you if you think about it, uh, with that infrastructure already sunken, do you want them not to sit around and you know like push Just people use to it. use more? Yeah. You want them to use more. You want people to push towards using adoption, higher, more interesting things to go to, more things to do. So then people consume more data, and with that, essentially it is pushing away some of the experience money that you use every month. Like you maybe you have $300 for all sorts of experiences. Cafe hopping, like watching the opera, you know, all, all those kind of things that you, that you, that you do. Okay, I, I don't know how many people watch opera. But anyway, so <laughs> all these things that you do and pushing that money onto the metaverse, right? Pushing that money onto a different set of experiences and, and that could be a serious budget in, in people's wallet, right? So if you think about it, would you spend $50 more on your monthly data if you can get access to all these other experiences? Hey, maybe you will. And maybe. if you go through, if you go through, you know, some of these big telcos, maybe that could be a business play, right? So it is not like, like definitely telcos are dead, but what, what is the reality? You know, how, how is the adoption? It's, it's still very early. Yeah, that's my thoughts. You mentioned Verizon, right? Do you know if like AT&T or Sprint and, uh, and Sprint are doing the same thing as well? Like they're giving 5G for free? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I think you have to check. Right, right, right. I don't know. I was just reading a few customers. I, I was checking out AT&T the other day. But I was just doing going to some customer reviews, comparing. Uh, it seems like people mm. don't really like Verizon. They, they prefer AT&T better. So, oh. yeah, maybe this is a customer <laughs> service kind plan. of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're just getting as many people on board as possible. Lock them in for like two or three years and then just yeah, pile on the subscriptions, right? Um, I don't know. Absolutely. But uh, from a cost point of view, I think it does make sense also if they already have certain infrastructure in place. Um, data is just data. It doesn't matter whether it's 4G or 5G, right? So it's gotten yep. cheaper over the years to actually uh, have this capability. Um, what eventually the telcos may converge to, I think, is the speed. Yeah, so or latency or things like that. Um, you can download you can download movies in less than 30 seconds. 34 seconds was the exact number, I think. Yeah. Wow. So that's just ridiculous really, right? It's so you... Content. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's going in that direction. Uh, but for now, people are just streaming, say, like Netflix or um, let's say they're they are doing Zoom, right? Like you can use your... My, my, Go, my GOMO plan to actually just do my work for the rest of the day. I don't even need to use the home Wi-Fi anymore. They just give too much data. I can't use it. So how? Yes. <laughs> it might be just economies of scale also. As they get many, more and more people onto these kind of plans and onto a certain infrastructure level. So it, it's better cost structures for them. Cool, guys. Yeah, let's let's move into Taliban. Awesome. <laughs> that was sudden. Yeah, are, we, are, we, are we going heavy quite fast? All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let's go let's go into the discussion of the Taliban's, right? I mean, I mean so, they have they have taken over Kabul, so so yeah. I I don't know how how I mean even FT News, BBC, all, all the all the guys even in doing financial news, they are talking about Taliban. Right. So so Rakesh, yeah. uh, what do you want what do you want to lead us into? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 noteworthy, and I think it's something that we do need to talk about, uh, given it's a, it's a weekly weekly market update that we do. Um, it's the biggest news in town, I guess. And I guess the, the biggest news is we always knew the Taliban sort of sort of existed in that area, um, of course, in in Afghanistan. But I think one thing that took maybe the world to surprise was how quickly they were um, ready to assume control, right? Um, as as the U.S. sort of marched out of there, maybe they took all their oil. I don't know. And, and, and all of that, right? And lately, we've heard the the Kabul airport being um, sort of overrun. Um, I think I think I just saw news before this podcast uh, or before the show saying that um, it has gotten a little better and they're starting to resume flights. But um, I'm not entirely sure. And I think where where I'm trying to come from this angle is is how will the stock market react to it? How would the people's perception react to it? Would it be only in the crude oil industry and and the crude oil stocks? Would it be in certain ETFs? Would it be on the weapons manufacturing? Or would it be industry agnostic because you, it's consumer confidence that you've now affected, right? I, I don't have an answer, but I think it's something that, you know, I could bring up and we could just discuss. Um, I don't think we'll have an answer tonight either. But yeah, what, what, what do you guys think about, you know, this, this sort of stuff? The, firstly, the US pulling out. And secondly, will it affect the market? Um, I think macro point of view, US pulling out is very strategic reasons for that. They want to focus more resources onto China, actually. So there is no gain. They can't be on two places and uh, focus. So um, it used to be for oil, one of the reasons. And their presence was actually stabilizing a lot of the regions there. But it's most of it is actually supported by the American side. So when they actually pull out, all these starts to crumble very, very fast as people start to revert to the old structures, right? And... Um, it's more of like suppression uh, of the Taliban actually. So once there isn't a, a influence, uh, a strong enough influence there, it just goes back to the old ways. So, uh, I think that's quite unfortunate. Um, as for the markets, oil is definitely something that is uh, has to be considered. Not really much impact you see on the prices right now. But let's say in three months' time, uh, there might be some effect. Okay, here, so here's why. In between, right, US actually created their own production capacity through like, Permian oil basin in the US. Uh, all this is all shale gas. Uh, just You can read out about technology. Mm-hmm. So US basically didn't need the Middle East anymore for its own oil production. So they are decoupled away right, from the Middle East. But it's really, really uh, just the US that's doing that. For the rest of the world, especially that's closer towards the Middle East, they still need to get the oil from there, right? Or maybe it's from somewhere in Southeast Asia, like um, Spratly Islands. So very, very yeah, certain. I'm trying not to use certain words. So there are certain areas <laughs> in the world which is, has concentrated deposits of these uh, resources, and um, without the Spratly Islands up yet, or certain parts of Southeast Asia is being tightly controlled by the countries themselves. They are still looking towards uh, Middle East for most of the supply, la. Yeah. So who controls most of this supply, right? Um, it's not in Afghanistan, right? It's either in Iran or it's somewhere in Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah. Okay, so right. how the, the new Afghan government or whoever's ruling is going to move, right? Their influence right, in that region is going to determine the supply for sure. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the, the, the big one to consider. Mm. So I, I I think for a lot of these bigger global situations, right, it's very hard to have a play for it. It's very hard to have a read for it because political situations 
um, they do change and they they are very dynamic, right? And even even you know like people are saying, oh, Taliban will go back to its old days, but really like like okay, let's just put it. Do you think North Korea is still the same North Korea? No, right? Things are changing. There's political dynamism and and you know things are moving. So Taliban taking over. Um, the government, it, it is just a change of government. It's just not the kind of change that we are used to. Democratic process where, you know, you vote and all. But, you know, hey, maybe two, three hundred years ago, this was how all governments changed, right? War, you won, you take over the place. Okay, this is a new governance, right? So it is a new governance. They have they have interests of the people at heart. But if you talk about global play in terms of strategy and all that, I don't really have a lot of thoughts. Definitely all will be get, will they affected. But you know, OPEC is losing its influence. It's not as it's not as easy for it to shift and manipulate prices anymore. But I'm not in the space, so I don't know. But I think, like it or not, a lot of your weapon manufacturers will have a very good 10 years running. Right, so they a lot of people will start loading up. You know, countries surrounding it will buy more weapons just to you know be certain, be safe. Um, China does border Afghanistan. Okay, for a lot of people that don't know, so yeah, so a lot of these uh, manufacturing companies in, in the arms trade, I do think they will benefit in heightened tensions. Right, it's the same with it's the same. I mean, just think about how when there's a shooting going on in in the US, there's an increase in gun sales. Same idea applies in a global scale. When there's some shit happening in your neighborhood, you will buy more guns. You will get more prepared. You want to stabilize yourself. You want to defend your borders, right? So um, I know not everybody is very big on like the arms business and all, but hey, as an investor, if if it's not a moral hazard to you, then your Lockheed Martin, your Boeing, your, your you know, all those guys, um, they have a very big business in the arms. Yeah, so so that that is that is my take, yeah. No, I think that's fair, right? So I think two two fronts, just to, just as a quick summary, we can move on. Number one, the, the political uh, climate in, in that area, right? And effectively the destabilization of that whole area. Number one, do I protect my border against what might happen? Because uh, the Taliban could be sort of, you know, unpredictable. So I, I better safeguard myself, uh, therefore, you know, increasing weapons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and at the same time, right, so if, if the U.S. has got obviously... Um, their own stabilization or their own reservoir <laughs> of oil, if you will. How would that affect the, the Middle East, and how would that affect the other players in the market? And and I think I think that's a fair point, Thomas, that you made, right? The fact that uh, U.S. has got perhaps other priorities, and they got a stack rank, which is which, and then they probably had a big meeting about it, and then said, okay, this is no longer a priority. It's time to move off, regroup, recoup, and then worry about the next priority that we need to focus on. Mm. Let me, um, let me let me let me throw in let me throw in a little bit of uh, a contrarian or, or speculative point. If you think yeah, about please. it, Af- Af- Afghan is China's neighbor, right? So if Afghan is stable, there's no reason for the US to set any military base in the region. But if they leave Afghan and Afghan gets messy, they have a lot of incentive. At least the regional players have a lot of incentive to bring the US in to set up very serious military bases. You know, and they are much closer. You know, they they are they are they are bordering China also, right? So so if if you think about that whole dynamic play, maybe maybe that will be a situation. Maybe Pakistan will open up to say that hey, you know, US come in, you know, to set up uh, some military base. You know, India may welcome the US in to to have more military bases if they not have enough yet. You know, and the Saudis will, will bring them in. Iran will bring them in. You know, or maybe um, you know, or, or, or it's depend. Okay, maybe not Iran, but you know, Iraq will bring them in. Or yeah. So 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 the, the idea is that may, maybe maybe just speculative. You know, that um, having a 
unstable kid in town is going to well, allow everyone else in town to welcome the US. Right? So, so that, could, that could be a possible play. You, you never know. Yeah, but there isn't a reason for US to be based in anywhere in the Middle East. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, like Iraq or Afghanistan. Like anywhere in that region, it's, it's not strategic for them. It's not technically the territory in the first place, right? Um, they need yeah, a, they need but, but even for, for bases, right? I mean, the reason why you have like forward bases or bases in other countries is because it's faster to get to somewhere else, right? So mm-hmm. you have a few people that's deployed there. You can counter or you can do some kind of tactic to divert and all that. But the whole of Middle East is not their concern. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the, the, the name of the country. <laughs> okay. I mean okay. India India is their concern, right? Obviously, right? So <laughs> sure. they, they yeah. really do have they really do have a couple of bases. I'm not too sure about Pakistan. But um no, I think that's that's fair. Uh I think it, we in, in this case we just gotta see how the next week pans out. Um we gotta see it blow by blow before we actually understand um what effect it's fully gonna take in the next month, two months, maybe even a year. Yeah, yeah, but any any broad market sell down because of like this kind of uncertainty, unless there's an all-out war, I think uh, relatively it will subside. Yeah, that is that is my, my view. It will it will stabilize eventually. The long-term strategy is still you know good companies and and blah blah blah. Right. Okay. So so that's that for that's Taliban. Good. I think we have too too much coverage about it. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely the. Definitely, these episodes will get flagged. But anyway, okay, let's move on. <laughs> move on to something lighter, right? So Activision, Activision, uh, the, the guys behind Call of Duty, behind World of Warcraft, they merge with Blizzard and whatever. Activision, Blizzard, uh, gets City Boost for low valuation, right? So Citigroup, you know, has upgraded Activision uh, to a buy rating, uh, responding to price pressure that has hit the stock. Because, because <laughs> last, last, last month, right, last week of July, actually, they had more than 2,000 former employees um, sign a letter calling for company to say that it's a toxic work environment. So they are going to sue the company. And uh, there's a big bunch of them actually walked out of the company, right? So with that, uh, their share price came down and Citigroup says that, yeah, maybe it's a, it's a good price to buy, right? They have upgraded to a buy call, right? So I, I want to, I, I brought this up. I brought this up for two reasons. One is I want to hear your points of who still listen to analysts these days, right? right? So, so this is, this is uh, one point, right? That analysts, what is their vested interest? And, you know, have they already bought positions and then they come out and open a buy call or, or what have you, right? So, so this is the first part about trying to understand the analyst landscape and when they say something, how do you interpret it, number one. And the other part also about your thoughts on companies like Activision, Blizzard, or companies like even like Netflix and, and, and companies that are very heavy on talent and on production, you know, when they have this kind of big workforce that leave or they have this kind of, uh, you know, big bunch of people that decide to stop working for them, you know, what, what is the kind of risk factor that, you, that we should uh, understand, you know, when looking at it? Yeah. Really so, buggy any- games. Because <laughs> <laughs> we found out there was only a glitch at game. What the floor disappeared. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> don't anyhow teach uh, the, the games don't work this way. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yes. 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 But yeah. Um, I think. I mean. Okay. First. First. Your first question was analyst, right? Um. Look. I mean. It, they probably maybe have a position. I don't know. Or is it simply the fact that it's city t- taking a look at? Okay. This is going to be a short term thing. And then it will rise again. So technically, if you, if you look at it that way, buy now. Just like how during COVID, when, it ha- when, when there was a massive market drop for a very quick, um, when, when COVID first happened, people were also saying buy now, right? Um, is that maybe what, what City is going for? 
if they have a position, I don't know if they're just looking to make money off of it. Um, I don't really follow analysts. I, I Yes, I read, but I make my own decision. Let's put it like that. I'm not going to base my decision on um, other people without doing my own research. And I'll beg all of the viewers to do the same thing. Um, but Thomas, yeah, do, do you, what about you and analysts? I think analysts, they try to do good work, but the structure of their role is uh, against that. So what I mean, right? So let's say let's say there's S and P five hundred, right? And then you can divide them into sectors. Um, analysts can be divided into a fixed pool of companies, which you just cover all year round, right? And say they cover say forty or fifty each, okay? And it's never often that they actually put a sell rating for reasons, right? You don't want to burn bridges, so it's very, very, very rare to actually put a sell rating right, on on a big company, especially. Yeah, so maybe you got some friends inside, or um, you know some of the management that's there, the interview and all that. Um, maybe they will lower the price a bit, right? Or they'll say hold, maintain, right? But never often a sell. Um, so more often than not, you get a lot of buy ratings across the board, like in the whole entire world, right? Uh, there's this kind of skew. Uh, for the analyst and the uh, valuation itself, um, I, I, I don't know. It differs from, from institution to institution, right? Some, they go like, oh, uh, we maintain this at this particular level, like one fixed price. But um, for valuation, some, in, some in, analysts in some camps will prefer to do valuation in ranges, right? Because let's say it's between a 50 and to $60, right? Rather than, oh, it's $51.57, cents. Right? Wow, so soon, Oh, you get the oh, 57 cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody so, should so, do that. Okay, anyway, yes, continue. So, so the, the one is the rating. The other one is the pricing. Um, don't read too heavily into it. You still need to do, do, the, do the due diligence. They have access to very good resources at the institution. So I still do read them. Yeah. Uh, but whether you agree or disagree with their call, that's up to you, right? You still need to do the due diligence. Uh. Yeah, I think it's an extension of the insider situation. Right? Every time you're an insider, you become a little bit nicer. You want to try to like make friends, you know. So, um, you know, pretty typical of like bank analysts, financial analysts. They have a lot of vested interest with a lot of these companies. They don't want to get to a situation. It's like media guys, you know. They don't want to get to a situation where they... Nobody wants to get interviewed by them, you know. Nobody wants to talk to them anymore, right? So, so there's a lot of these yeah. things that are ongoing that we need to we need to be aware of, you know. Uh, which, which is also why I, I tend to really like uh, more independent research companies. You know, they 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 are not actively in connection with a lot of these guys. They have no like business interests. Like if you're part of the bank, I mean, Citibank say like you know, Activision is a shit company, or you know, they say any like Apple is a blah blah blah. You know, don't buy it, right? Like, who, who will they will, will you take a loan from Citibank? It's, it's gonna be a little bit hard, right? So so I think I think there's multiple layers of vested interest in, in that. But when you talk to independent analysts, when they are just doing pure research, they are just trying to get data and just trying to put out their position and thoughts on things. Uh, those are are pretty interesting, right? So I think I think those are tend to be a little bit more edgy, right? They will dig deeper. They will be able to say things that you know a, a lot of bigger analysts will not be able to say. Right, so that's that's my take on uh, reading analyst report lah, in general. Anyway, these days I think a lot of resources are getting more and more open, more and more democratized. You know, you don't need to spend thousands of dollars for Bloomberg Terminal anymore. So yeah, times have changed. That's for sure. 
Yeah, but what are your what are your thoughts on the the walkout? You know, of uh, talent because because they are in a business where very very much it's a it's a it's a human business, right? They need all these people to to do the code, to do the design, to do the storytelling, and and all that stuff, right? It's 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 not like a machine kind of play. Of course, there are softwares and all, but yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's terrible. Oh. Um, no, because the the like let's say you get a lot of people from the creative side of things and then you got people on the engineering side of things so all have left they just take a bit of the organization with them and maybe they go to other competing firms where they can apply their their talent in the, in a better way uh, it, it's a very big disadvantage uh, to, to activation I think um, there has really been some complaints inside about the culture and things like that this is not their um, first saga this is not their yes. first saga yeah a few years ago they already had another saga yes Yes, and then the direction of the games, like um, it's becoming a little bit more watered down and then some of the gamers don't like it anymore. It's all very profit-driven. So for people on the creative side of things, right, they find it very difficult to work in that kind of environment, right? They just have to do a bit of nonsense things just to get the profit, but they cannot express themselves creatively anymore. So where they go, they, they, they might do their own thing, right? maybe start an indie game or something. So they will just go elsewhere, right? And then they it's just quite a big loss, uh, especially if these people are like one of the key like for, um, forerunners, right, for some of the games, and then I think that's quite a big loss. Then basically, all your fans that are looking forward to like certain sequels of a game, suddenly find out the content is very, very watered down or like the storyline doesn't make sense anymore. It's like, why do you do this? <clears throat> game of Thrones. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that happened, la, but that kind of experience, right? Yeah, I personally didn't like the, the, the ending for Game of Thrones so that way. Uh, I wouldn't like to see that for a game that I also follow for quite some time. Now. Yeah, Absolutely right. And, and I think, you know, the talent density is so, so important in, in, in every company, right? We, we talk about retention, we talk about stuff like that, but you, it's, there's a lot of costs that go with training someone new. If someone were to leave, you need to ramp this person up. There's a whole ton of expenses that effectively you consider as, as salary. Um, but it's it's a lot more than that. There's a lot of intangibles that you're losing when someone goes, especially in the creative environment like like Blizzard, right? Um, if someone develops this sort of game or this sort of dynamic within the game uh, with certain uh, graphics, just because you replace them doesn't mean... And, and literally, the boss is probably going create exactly that, but in a new in a new way, <laughs> right? That's that's not it, right? It's it's you can't just do that, um, and and that's probably why uh, you feel that the games are watered down because they're probably told stick to the storyline, stick to this, stick to that, and and the new guy coming in can't effectively express himself. Um, and if this sort of turnover just keeps happening, you know the company in general will not be moving, right? It's not number one, not somewhere you want to work for because you're probably going to lose half of your friends in the next six months. Um, or you or you using it or you're using the company, right? I'm, I'm going in because it's got Blizzard there. I'm going to use it for my resume. And then when I get the next job, I'm going to jump. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, talent density, either way, talent density is quite a big thing that every company should be focused on because if not, it, it will lose its value. So you, you think as an investor or as a potential investor, it is a risk factor, you know, that, that these guys are not managing their talent very well, especially in this space. I think so. Um, I think they should keep their top guys, right? And I, not only the top guys, but they should promote a culture of retention. You can't have a company that, that keeps, you know, like just like how when you look at the books and you see your retention numbers dropping and you're unhappy about it, that's just the numbers. 
But what about your staff? How many of your staff are you? And in most HR companies and most HR departments, look at that, right? This is where we're going at because we need to hit this sort of effective team. And in order to build an effective team, you need XXX. And one of it is team dynamic camaraderie. And if the team keeps changing, you're never going to get past the, the first part before you can make it into an effective team. So definitely, I see it as, as something to look out for. Fair, fair. Yeah, I, I, I think this is not their first time. This is not their first saga. So as yeah. a retail investor, you should be aware, you know, that Activision has some stuff going on. And Blizzard is essentially an, an acquired, you know, guy. You know, they, it's not their main... You know, they didn't start out uh, alone, right? So they kind of, they, they, were, they were independent and then they merged with Activision and King to become uh, the giant that they are today, right? So I think even to date, a lot of these things still exist and it's problematic. But in my view, um, to be a little bit more balanced in, in the perspective of some of these things, it's not always bad if there is a change of, uh, you know, workforce and all. You know, maybe it brings in new perspectives and, and all that jazz. And sometimes it's because management at the top, you know, it's not aligned and then, you know, it, it changes down and it trickles down to become a problem. But I do agree that um, as a company that is very reliant on talent, they are not a factory. <laughs> they, they are a game developer, extremely reliant on talent. This is not a very good sign and this is not their first time. So yes, that's for Activision. Yeah, guys. Okay, nice. so let's, let's um, move on to the last point. Yes. Last bit. Yeah, just a quick one on my side. Uh, it's actually with regards to sort of a partnership, right? A logistics partnership between Gojek, Grab, and a um, Indonesian company called Antijira. Um, Antijira, just for those that, that don't know, is effectively a logistics service that, that focuses a lot on the last mile um, in, in, in Indonesia. Right. Um, and I think it's it's noteworthy just to bring this up because they're partnering. And I find that a little weird, right? Because if Antijira um, is looking to to grow a bit more in, in Jakarta, Gojek has got much, has a much bigger presence than Grab. Right. Gojek sort of infiltrated all of this. And at the same time, Gojek is a logistics company and they also do last mile uh, all, all across Indonesia, right? From, from just not only deliveries, but like medicines or food or um, I think they... In, in Indonesia, they can actually stop at a store, buy what you need, and then and then travel to you and give you specifically that that um, item, right? So, how, what would that what would that play? What are they really looking at? I think one one last thing as well is noteworthy that Gojek and Tokopedia were already affiliated with Antijira before this partnership, right? They sort of fused to create GoTo Group, um, and this is linked with Antijira and affiliated with it to handle to Tokopedia's as well as Gojek's last mile, right? Uh, sorry, for those that don't know, Tokopedia is like a massive e-commerce site um, in Indonesia. I think a bit like Lazada, but, but Indola. Um, I think the last I heard, it was 1% of Indonesia's GDP economy. So it's massive, massive, Whoa, massive. Oh, it's huge. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's absolutely massive, right? Um, so I think, yeah, what are your thoughts? Um, what do you see grab in this? Capital in this needs to exit. That's my thought. Capital needs to exit. Okay, so if you if you look at the life cycle of how startups work and how capital comes in, of course, in the early days, it's a tinkering process, right? Nobody really wants to invest in you. After you have some traction, there's a lot of money coming into the space, right? So, and if they cannot invest in you, they will invest in your competitor, right? So Uber, Lyft, mm. Grab, DT, you know, they, they are all the ones that succeeded. But along the way, they definitely have other competitors that have, either pivoted or just exited the business altogether, right? So, and at some point, 
the ultimate exit is into the private, into the public market, right? So they exit into the public market and the private capital get pulls out and they will go and find and the next big thing to invest in and the cycle kind of repeats, right? So I do think at this point in time with uh, a lot of the listings of delivery last mile companies, whether it's DoorDash, whether it's Lyft, Uber, which done a few years ago and Grab's exit, using a spec mechanism. And then with this, you know, it's all showing signs that investors want to leave this this sector in general, right? So they 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 have fueled the growth, they have you know gotten things to where they are, and they they want to leave, especially all these private capital, right? So they they can leave for various reasons. You know, one maybe valuations are coming down because people the public market will over time figure out you know like a, a valuation structure for some of these things, and they'll be like, mm, you know, maybe I cannot exit at this price anymore. <laughs> So why not let's just <laughs> let's just get it out ASAP, right? And it, it before before prices keep coming down and and whatever you know, it's like the period where SaaS companies were were flying off the shelf, you know, at very very high valuations. And these days they are not listing at, at sexy numbers. So private capital wants to exit all the, the the ventures that are not as popular in the public exit, right? So ASAP. You know, I do think that that is that. If you are talking about like, you know, company growing and and all that, you know. I if yeah I, I don't think I don't think I honestly think this is the main reason private company private capital no, wants to exit the space yeah so so that that's my thought yeah Thomas I think for until until Raja yeah they have very good economy of scale if they can just work with the two largest like logistics or delivery companies in Indonesia itself right. So I'm not sure they might have some underlying deal together with them to go and share some profit. It might make sense for both companies, like Gojek and Grab, to actually do that. Uh, on the flip side, it also works out well for Grab and Gojek to have their competition using the same service, just out of valuation purposes. Uh. Like say, oh, last week we showed you this slide that we only covered, say, 65 or 70% of Indonesia. Now, because with this partnership, we've got 75%. Ta-da! Right? So, <laughs> it might actually work out that way. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't see them as like, very hard competitors because... Grab isn't going so hard in Indonesia. It knows that that's Gojek's territory or, or rather now go to go to territory. So wherever they can get certain market share uh, with the lowest cost possible, right, they would do that. But for the rest of Southeast Asia, then Grab will fight very, very hard. Yeah. So I don't think these kind of partnerships will come out, say, in Vietnam or say in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grab would rather have to do it their own. Mm. Yeah, cool. So, so that's it. Any anything, anything else on this? No, I think that's it. I think one one last note just think about is, you know, because if they're moving towards this, what would that how would that affect the riders in Gojek, right? Would there be less less market for them? Would there be less demand for them? Or would they move across? Right? You never really know. Um but I do know that's something that to, to think about um when, when these sort of things happen. But no, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it. Cool guys, thanks for tuning in every week. You know, this week we had a quite a quite a tangent discussion about a lot of other things that are ongoing on in the world. So yeah, if you want to continue to discuss with us and talk about anything personal finance or investing related, head over to our Telegram group and sign up for our weekly newsletter, right? See ya guys. Take care. Woo. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh. And trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback. 
So share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.